0: Okay, um, hello everyone. Welcome to the Making Sense of podcast. Um, I'm Katie and I work at Foundation for
1: Change and I'll
0: let everyone else introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Tonya. I'm going to be doing this podcast with Katie and I'm a Foundation for Change team member as well. Hi, I Hope you're all well. Yeah, my name's Liz. I work for Foundation for
2: Change
0: too. Oh yeah, Heather here.
3: Bob also part of the Foundation Change team.
0: Thanks everyone so uh, yeah this is one of our podcast series called Making Sense Of. Um, you should be able to get previous episodes on our website um, and this one is entitled Making Sense of Plagues and Power and Tonya and I have been doing a bit of a dig into some history um, so there's a big historical kind of theme to this on um, about uh yeah kind of plays and pandemics that have happened in the past and this is um obviously something that uh given the the coronavirus outbreak and the experience of the last few months which is when we've been putting these podcasts together um, Uh, the kind of nature of pandemic and what it is and what it means for society um, and our everyday lives has been kind of at the forefront of our minds, I guess. Um, So our idea with this podcast was to look at some examples of um, pandemics that have happened in the past, um, partly as a reminder that going through this kind of thing, um is not new to human society that we've been here before um, uh, and like a big part of what we do at foundation for change is trying to help others um, and ourselves actually to kind of learn and improve our ability to think critically and one one way that we do this is by reflecting in our groups um, on our own experiences experiences that we've gone through during our lives um, uh, and another way is to like, look back into history um, at other periods of upheaval, um, of change, unrest and kind of see what those experiences of the past can tell us, basically. Um, yeah, so, so the, the theme, I guess, is that like, history can help us understand like, the range of responses that we might be having um, to events going on today. Um, And the other thing that um, we want to emphasize is that it can sort of help us see that the ways that people in power, in particular, the way that they uh, respond to sort of big times of crisis and upheaval um, can have like really long term impacts and and history can help us trace this kind of thing. Uh, So I suppose we wanted to explore that idea a little bit. Um, as well. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Tonya who's going to talk a little bit about like history and learning and their experiences with that.
1: Okay so thank you Katie. Um, so I'm just gonna sort of go into a little bit for a um, bit of my sort of history. For me getting my job at Foundation for Change as a feminist lead, it was so far from sort of what I would have envisioned for myself because the reality was that I didn't really know much about feminism, didn't know nothing really about history. They were both really big words to me that I didn't really, never really delved into. So for me growing up, growing up, I grew up in an Irish moving family. So I never really questioned, there weren't no questions, why it was the girls that cooked and cleaned and girls that looked after your brothers and stuff like that. I never really questioned it, we just sort of lived, that's how we lived. Hence, when I've grown up, apart from Foundation for Change doing this job, all my jobs all involved cleaning or caring. And I was never really introduced to crazy ideas of, you know, that women can be powerful without men. Until I got this role and started learning and educating myself. Um, So researching for this particular podcast has been... Like plagues and power, it's been it's been amazing because I've come across sort of a new term which I had never heard before, and that term it's intrigues me to sort of like learn about learn more, and the term is like history from below, and I so I'm, I'm this this history it takes the approach of looking at the past through the lens of ordinary common people working class people and not um taking the focus off of kings queens and leaders and stuff like that you know so actually looking at it from literally from below i never knew that term existed until very recently like searching for this and for me the the passion that i feel it's like it's amazing it sort of opened up it's opened something up inside me that the passion that i I just need to sort of find out and i feel like i can connect with this history from below for some reason easier than i can from um histories from the leaders and the kings and stuff like that so history from below especially within feminist work and studies of slavery and unfree labor has expanded our understandings and as humans of the working class and of the working class struggles you know, which KT is actually going to be expanded or expanding on after with the um slavery and unpaid um, work. So, but I mean, working class. I'm just going to say, I always thought before I knew anything about before I started at Foundation for Change, I didn't really know much about history and stuff. So it was, you know, working there. It was great because I learned about feminism and history, and it's it was great. But I always thought that working class was the class anyway because I thought that if you're working and that's that's the right place to be so it was quite a shock to me to find out that actually no working class is not the class because I'm working class but um yeah so that for me you know was it's just um yeah I never learned that before when I was young I learned that when I was about 42 so, um, but through this research, I came across some amazing women and men, I shall say, not, it's not all just about the women, but um, yeah, I've got, I come across some amazing women and they were just ordinary working class women fighting for equality and rights. One example that I'm gonna use, I was so happy the other day when I looked on Google and she was being celebrated, is Olive Morris. She's a Jamaican born British based um, gender and race activist in the Feminist Black Nationalist and the squatters' rights campaigns throughout the 1970s. Um, she was very much looked down upon and not given great media coverage, made out to be quite aggressive and, you know, not nice and what, not understanding her plight of actually what she was fighting for. So she was given really bad media coverage. But when I was thinking about this, sort of, she really stood out in my mind. And I think when I see her on Google the other day, because it was her birthday, I thought, you know, about time that she's being Mm. recognized for something you know being put up there so people can look and actually see what is olive morris about because she was actually you know she was um she was the first she she was she fought for like she fought for her sorry she fought for her voice to be heard and she was she helped and co-founded the brixton black women's group in 1973 which is one of britain's first networks for black and asian women in Brixton so I felt I like one of the we talk about her in our in a feminism group that I do in Foundation for Change as well and one of the things I loved about Olive was the squatter's rights that she'd done and she'd done a squatter's handbook and stuff you know and uh, back in the day um squatting was quite um how people found houses it was the way to find houses if you was your history from below I was sort of one of them squatters but I just thought yeah fucking brilliant you know so I, I just loved her I've also like come across another example of history from below which I think history from below is now my way of learning about history because it sort of really fits in with I don't know it fits in with me I suppose so let me get on with who, who else I found and discovered Mary Malon. Mary Mallon was an Irish born cook believed to have infected 53 people, three whom died with typhoid fever. So it's presumed Mary was infected by her mother during a pregnancy. Um, she She was the first person in the USA to be identified as an asymptomatic carrier of the disease. She was totally unaware that she had the disease. She just lived her life. She was absolutely fine, never ill, never sick. So she worked for the rich and was a great cook worked for around eight families, maybe. She was a brilliant cook and word of mouth made her sort of go further than for for these rich families because they loved to have her food. But once it was discovered that she was actually a carrier of this typhoid disease, she was quarantined and then ordered not to go back to work as a cook. You can't go back to work as a cook. So Mary agreed to this, okay, she's left the quarantine after about three years. And then has gone out again, tried to find different work. As, as a struggling working class woman, she just couldn't do it. So she done something a little naughty to be able to feed herself and her family, which she changed her name and become a cook again. This is what this was her profession. So she'd become cooking illegally under an assumed name. Um, she then obviously exposed the disease to others. Um, and she was again caught and quarantined this time she was quarantined for 30 years you know she died like of 30 years of isolation on her own i get a little goosebumps sort of when i like think about that because you know through no fault of her own she was sort of just casted aside to keep everybody else sort of safe and you know and you can just go and sit in a hospital bed and look out the window so Typhoid Mary, she's just one person. You can see as a woman, she was involved in care work. You know, clearly there were plenty of people before they knew what she, what she had that wanted her. She was always like being called, called upon. Mm. So, you know, and they were willing to pay for her to come and cook and clean and look after their families. But as soon as, you know, just quickly forgotten about and discarded from society. So she had orders to isolate, but as a poor working class woman, she couldn't afford to put food on her table. So what conditions, it makes me think that, you know, that from the higher, higher up the government, what conditions were they asking her to live in? It was, it was really, it, it, they couldn't, she couldn't have survived if she hadn't sort of been being a, being a cook. That was the only way that she could sort of put money on the table and be able to look after herself and her family. So... When I discovered Mary, Mary, I wanted to know more. And there wasn't too much more to find out about her, really. Mary was trying to make a living and was cast aside. And in the context of history from below, she, she was just one woman. Linking this to the feminism work we do with women from different backgrounds and cultures, unfortunately, as part of history that gets brushed under the carpet and not talked about or learned about, The the famous quote, without learning from our history, we're doomed to repeat it, sort of, I sort of constantly sort of think that, you know, because even within our current times right now, you know, it is happening with working class, poor working class people in Leicester, working in factories, and, you know, it's, it's just history repeating itself in a way, history from below, literally sort of just repeating itself, and... Yes, I think it's such a, I, I really loved hearing about that
0: example when you told me about it, Tonya, um, and like, remind me, is it, was it the late 18, eight, 1800s yes. or something?
1: So 1834, 1834, till, um, and she died, she died in 1938. Oh, yeah, 1938. Yeah, oh, no, it's a name
2: I've heard. You know, Typhoid Mary. It's like a, na- a thing, a name, a description I've heard, but I knew nothing about the history of it. That was, uh, you know, incredibly interesting and and
1: relevant. I think. Yeah, and and I sort of delved into because I was so hungry to find out a bit more about her, even a book or something, but there isn't. So um, mm. there was sort of YouTube videos that I could sort of have a look and watch and they were really interesting as well because it's the conditions that people have to live in and then expected to sort of go out and there was a just a bit on there about washing hands and stuff after you know and i just think yeah it's it's really it really um touched me because just looking at sort of you know everywhere around now in the current pandemic that it generally is the poor working class that have to sort of keep things going and get out there to put food on the table and stuff you know not that it's not a matter of of wanting it's a matter of needing because what is the choice what choice did Mary have it was either one or the other. Totally. And that
0: yeah. I as well that you have to look quite hard to find the history um, and that really links to what you were saying about Olive Morris like how surprising in a way it was to see her photo on the google thing because normally these stories like you, you have to look in obscure places it's a bit easier with the internet but you have to really dig
2: what's that google thing called you know like the, the, the somebody's
1: picture comes up on google what is that you know they celebrate lives of you know people but i think and birthdays and milestones. But yeah. what's it called is it the Google Google animation something? I the Google thing. Oh, I <laughs> the thing they always do. <laughs> I have noticed though that um, you know, even the the other day they had put somebody else up, um, Marsha P. Shepherd as well. And they're using like quite really old people that, that I mean I only learnt about myself who join in Foundation for Change. So yeah, to see that. On, oh. on google is great
2: yeah it's it's kind of re- really relevant at the uh moment with all the stuff around statues and things like that being challenged
1: yes yes exactly there should be a statue of olive morris in brixton there should be instead it's her name is attached to the place
2: where you get housing benefit in brixton
1: yeah which is another the little <laughs> yeah yeah that was a bit of um i don't know where they got that idea from
0: and I think like the other the other parallel that I feel comes out with that is um like people losing their jobs because of a pandemic and um you know just being told that you're not allowed to work and for her that wasn't really a choice um and and also the thing as well that um you know, people obviously were willing to keep paying her when she went back to work. Um, I think there's something really interesting that, like, it was unheard of that the, the family she was cooking for would, like, do their own cooking, for example. <laughs> it was like they, would, they were like, oh, no, we don't have someone to do our cooking anymore because of typhoid. And, you know, if there are people desperate enough to, like, just take that risk and, and cook anyway, they'd happily... Keep paying you, sort of thing, and I think there's been some examples of that, like definitely with like certain parts of work that have been like key work, and you're like, what? How is being a security guard for this like massive bank that's totally empty key work? You know, that that kind of thing. Today, I don't know if others feel like there were any other uh, parallels or something.
2: There was was a huge amount of um, kind of comment through Twitter and Facebook and, and social media about actually we we worked, you know, as the pandemic, uh, COVID pandemic hit the UK, it became clear who the actual important key workers were. And they were, you know, bus drivers, people serving in shops, obviously, you know, people working um, in the NHS, but it kind of went beyond that, didn't it? to so, yeah, I mean, you know, I was absolutely um you know at the sort of height of it really moved or in awe or something of the people were turning up and working in Sainsbury's and you know just getting in there and making sure that 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 people could get food and so on you know I feel like the idea of who is important in society changes um shifts a little when extraordinary circumstances descend on a on a nation you know there was a real kind of like okay wow I didn't realize these guys are really important postmen
4: yeah I think as well the fact that they're all you know it's all kind of minimum wage jobs that ultimately you absolutely need you need you know you need people to take the bins away you know you still need all that kind of stuff going on um and yeah and you don't need you know people on extortionate wages who work in offices like bankers and stuff like that that becomes you know something that's unnecessary when it comes down to it
0: yeah so there was um when i went off and was doing my own research there was um an example that I came across that was about a hundred years before even the typhoid Mary one um that really resonated with me and it was this guy called uh, Peter Linebow um who'd written about it and he he'd written this essay that was um Uh, during the 1980s basically which was the middle of the global HIV AIDS epidemic Um, and he'd written this essay doing exactly kind of what we want to do with the podcast I guess like looking at, at plays and uh epidemics that had happened in the past um because he really wanted to remind like the community activists that were um struggling at the time to sort of campaign and get access to life-saving treatment um for people who were being infected with hiv aids um he wanted to remind them that like we've you know we've been here before this is a really common struggle that these these plagues like wreak havoc through history and as always like people like yourselves um working hard to try and just save the lives of their friends and their co-workers um um, yeah it was uh I, I think I think at the time like communities were being devastated because people didn't understand this this new illness and it was like communities that were really marginalised, the gay community and people that were taking intravenous drugs, um, so it was a really traumatic um, experience, basically, and, and so he, so he wrote this essay um, uh, uh, investigating, yeah, like Tonya said, this history of history from below um, idea, um, and. And the one that really, the, the story that he picked that stood out for me that had loads of parallels uh, with today was the outbreak of yellow fever in Philadelphia in 1793. So this is in the United States. Um, you have to bear with me because there is like a lot of interlocking bits of history here, but it was so Interesting. Um, the 1793 came like just after the uh, American War of Independence from from like Britain, I guess, because the United States was. A British colony, um, so they just got um, independence, uh, but it also came at like uh, this key development in in capitalism, basically, which was the invention of the cotton engine. Um, so, like this piece of technology, basically that ultimately led to the expansion of like the cotton plantations in the southern united states um, but also the factory system in england so the industrial revolution that that happens like across the atlantic all these things were connected and it was all to do with the invention of the cotton engine Um, and You know, a big part of that history is the expansion of slave plantations all over the southern United States to kind of supply the cotton for these mills. and so along, along with that, um, because the United States was this like embryonic, you know, it was newly formed, basically newly independent. They were bringing in all these uh, laws um, and and a lot of the laws that came in during that time were designed to help protect the property of, of uh, the, you know, people that had just gained their independence, which was the the white colonisers from Europe. um, um, And their property amounted to to slaves, basically, that were being shipped over from the Caribbean to come and work on the cotton plantations. Um, So there were these really kind of, um, yeah, like interconnected uh, events that had far-reaching consequences um, in terms of, like the system of racism, I suppose, um, and how that um, was so uh, tightly connected to, like, the laws that were being developed in this new, like, uh, uh, federation of of states, I think they were called, I I don't know if it called itself the confederation. Um, I probably need to brush off on my US history a little bit more. Um, But... Yeah, the the um, the yellow fever outbreak basically came to Philadelphia precisely precisely at this point. Uh, so what happened is um, George Washington, who some of you might have heard of, um, Alexander Hamilton. Um, there's a big musical that has like uh, been written about him recently that uh, did really well in the West End and over in the US. Um, but uh, both of those were like key, you know, founding fathers of the United States, um, and they fled the city immediately, along with all their troops, um, to escape the risk of infection. Um, and And the people that were left were basically the poor working class people and the African Americans who um, who. Uh, were, were slaves and, and in Philadelphia the, you know it wasn't so much slaves on the plantations but but slaves um, in household work so doing the, the cooking, cleaning, um, the nursing and basically they were the ones left to do all the care work for, for the population that was left um, and exposed to yellow fever that had just broken out in, in Philadelphia. Um, So um, what ended up happening was that African Americans basically provided two thirds of the nursing work to take care of all the sick people, all the dying people in Philadelphia, while the rich people, the government, the military had fled the city. and yeah, the black population was basically doing all the care work. Um, and this was at a time when they were massively being discriminated against because of all this legislation, which had been brought in to sort of um, make it uh, mandatory for um, for uh, any state uh, to send back uh, an, an escaped slave, basically. It was kind of... Um, the law was called the Fugitive Slave Act, and um, it just meant that um, people could be cr- uh, prosecuted basically for for hiding slaves or assisting slaves to escape. Um, and black people were being really demonised. There was like revolutions happening in in Haiti, which were the French-owned colonies. There were like, you know. Plantations had been set on fire, and there were these uprisings, and so everyone in the U.S. was like really paranoid that this was going to spread to the United States, and um, so so black people, being heavily cr- criminalized, they were already enslaved, and yet they were being left to do all the care work when when yellow fever broke out, and um, and what was really interesting, I found that that this guy Peter um, Limbo wrote wrote about in his essay was how. Um, People were forming, the African Americans were forming basically the first mutual aid societies um, where like they knew that the governments uh, and and the property owners weren't going to look after their interests and it was up to them to look after after themselves and so they they formed something called the Free African Society and this later became one of the first African American Episcopal churches Um, and and yeah this was like a a key way that the people looked after themselves basically But, but not only looked after themselves Um, they extended that help to all the people that were left in the city and that was what was really inspiring they were just doing all this care work and 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 for me anyway like I've I've seen a lot of uh, mutual aid groups that have been responding to coronavirus in the current time and kind of being able to like trace that history back to these um early free African societies in America um, was just like really powerful and really a good reminder that like like left to our own devices, this is what like, this is what history from below also teaches us that people will club together to help each other. Um, and even when you know it's people who are the most marginalized and oppressed um there's there's this kind of idea that that like we can find strength through helping each other um yeah so for me it was just like a really like i don't know i found it hopeful and encouraging um
3: I was just thinking, you know, this idea of history repeating itself, like maybe sometimes that's okay, <laughs> like in this sense, because I think it's happened before, it's happening again. And I was just thinking about how, <clears throat> how resourceful people can be when they are such an under-resourced part of the population. You know, it's the same thing that's happening now with um, yeah, mutual aid. It's just like actually the people that are quite often the most disadvantaged, marginalised, under-resourced in society, are the ones that are having to be the most resourceful. And, you know, they're doing a bloody good job.
0: And I think the idea that these things form lasting institutions, like there were two aspects of the story, like one is all these laws were being introduced to kind of enshrine slavery into like the way that the United States operated Um, and like that has a legacy but also like the founding of these free African societies and the founding of the African-American churches that also has a massive legacy because that became like this hub for like community building and like real links and solidarity between people that has you know also lasted for centuries so you can have you can get these like parallel stories basically going through history.
5: I really, really loved that story, Katie. Um, it was really um powerful and um now i don 't know, like it was just really fascinating to actually see the parallels in history, and people do say that history repeats itself an awful lot don 't they um and and it and it really does um and I just think that also the point is um that actually maybe sometimes. Mutual aid has to step up because there's no one else doing that work, like the government won't do that work. So, um, you know, mutual aid exists in order to step in when resources are minimal or not provided. Um, And yeah, I think community um, working together is just, you know, a completely powerful um, and poignant thing. but not forgetting the fact that it has to exist because we have I don't want to say like no support from the government but it just feels like you're left on your own so you have to mobilise um and work together as a group of people
0: yeah and like the the other thing that I felt like we can learn from that example is that it's not so the government's you know don't do anything it's just their priorities are somewhere else so the example of like George Washington and Hamilton like running off with their troops was because they wanted to go and like conquer like, like use the moment to take advantage of like extending the territory even further with their troops so they benefited in terms of like strengthening the military like capacity of the new federation and like getting lands more lands off the indian people um and and like the same goes for now it's like the you know the government is very concerned with like protecting certain aspects of the economy and um you know but it what's frightening is like you know elderly people vulnerable people just being left to kind of die or you know hope for the best that they somehow get hold of enough food while they're trapped indoors for three months?
5: I, you know that's that's exactly it like at the moment because you know my mum's really quite severely unwell really and um you know I I she she doesn't have the same support from services uh she well that she did but um I think it's more the fact that actually she's kind of isolated and on her own um and so I think what happens is it falls back a little bit on who is kind of in the household to kind of like take on that work um to support and yeah it's kind of like it's it's difficult it you know it falls back onto you know um the individual instead of kind of actually um having kind of the services there to be able to help and maintain people who actually live with quite, you know, um, extreme mental health conditions, who need that support.
2: You know, the, 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 the title of this podcast um, is Pandemics and Power. What, what, do you, what do you think happens with power during these times? What do you mean by power, actually? Let me, let me ask you another question, Katie and Tonya. What did,
0: what, what, you know, I was curious about what,
2: what, you, meant, what you meant by power. It's
0: a really interesting question. Just quickly, like, for me, I would say, whilst I've been thinking about it recently, I've probably meant elite. Um, But when we first started researching, we were looking, we were thinking a lot more about lockdown. And uh, we were thinking a lot more about, like, control, I suppose, as to sort of wealthy and elite. So, yeah, I feel like there's both.
2: Cause it's a bit of a, a kind of, you know, it, it's a word that, that a lot of people recoil from and go, oh, power, I don't like that word. I mean, you know, on on, I think, several of training days that I do um we ask people to kind of identify what's important to them what 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 values are important and we give them a list of different values and power is one of them and generally people will kind of go "Oh, power oh don't want anything to do with that um because it's such a sort of strange ambiguous word so as as you were talking through the podcast you know what what struck me is yeah um there is there is perhaps you you know, optimistically, there's a sort of shift in power where that people coming together in communities perhaps suddenly gain an extra awareness of the power, they, the potential they have for to, for changing things. I mean, you know, to go back to Tonya's point, I know a little bit about Olive Morris, and, you know, it, it, you know she kind of, at that point in Brixton, um, you know, the the Black community started to work together and kind of go hold on if we if we if we work together we have power and i mean they were very influenced by kind of black power movement at you know just years before that um decade or so before that in america so it the word power was a word that was very important to them it's like we recognize the power we have as a community and um i just wonder what other communities people were i mean i also kind of i can i'm old enough to remember the aids Um, you know an HIV kind of um, epidemic and and kind of I was sort of involved with with lesbian and gay politics a little bit at that time and then there was a certain sense of of kind of okay we, we, we come together in at this moment and when when we come together we, we hold more power. It's like that cliche about loads of twigs together, isn't it? You can't snap it, but you can snap one twig on its own. You know, it's all kind of stuff. It's all kind of pretty um, obvious stuff. But I think, you know, times like this do remind people about collective action.
0: And, and that, again, in terms of tracing the history, I think that's also really interesting. Like, so the mutual aid, you know, beginnings that were back in the late, 1700s um that was echoed in the black panther movement and like they they were massive on mutual aid and they had these big programs of doing breakfast clubs for kids really early in the morning and they called them um the program was called survival pending revolution and this idea that like part of the power isn't just kind of like being powerful enough to like you know Overchange change everything it, it's like so it starts with self-defense and then defending our communities and looking out for each other and yeah survival basically so it's like self def- the power of defending ourselves like Wait, um do you know one of the things that's like i'm really curious about is where
2: where fellowship groups like na and aa kind of come into all this because you know in a way you've got potentially a really strong community who have a shared experience, um, I'm just kind of, I always, I find, you know, I guess it's because it's such an apolitical organisation. There are no kind of campaigning aims or any kind of, I don't know, sort of, I'm always confused by it. It always seems um, slightly bewildering to me as somebody was involved with it by the way but you know I never kind of quite understood it they don't really understand where it fits into community and what the, what the response has been during this time I don't know if anybody else has more experience of that it's been a long while since I was part of um, a NA or AA fellowship
4: well I mean I think you know it's based the whole premise of of the fellowship is is of community isn't it so it's you've already got that built in kind of like group of people that you can kind of learn find your people in in amongst that and kind of have community and trust I guess I mean the fact that you haven't been able to see each other has been really difficult on a lot of people um who've had the support networks taken away from them who haven't had access to um, electric, you know, Zoom meetings, well, not electric, I mean, but yeah, Zoom meetings
2: and, and that kind of communication. That was very catweeds love you there, um, electricery. <laughs> <laughs>
3: new,
1: ele-
2: <laughs> new electric talking books that are in
4: the house. Um.
3: It's witchcraft.
4: <laughs> yes, it's all this magic stuff, yeah, uh, video g- <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> But haven't had access to those kind of things, so they've really much been kind of like for suffering from that. And, and I think, you know, Zoom meetings have stepped up um, to kind of fill fill that gap. Um, and and good old kind of telephoning, people checking up on people, that that kind of stuff that you kind of have to have to do.
2: Just do you think so? It sounds a bit like that, that sense of community's been, um, oh god, I don't know, has struggled to respond to the pandemic. No, I'm sorry, it sounds a bit blamey that, but it sounds like there have been struggles within that. Is that around technology, do you think?
4: I think because each group is autonomous, so each group is having to be like sort it out themselves and a lot of people aren't tech minded so it's been quite difficult for for people to actually get it together to you know set up specific meetings and do all the techie stuff but people learn I mean most meetings I think nearly all meetings have got an online meeting going on now and it's quite amazing that, that that actually has happened and then there's been you know a lot of support with people within groups helping each other and supporting each other and again you know going out of your comfort zone and having to do stuff that you're not comfortable with I I guess
2: sorry as a necessity you know yeah I guess one of the um really I mean we have to take as many positives as possible I think from what's happened over the last few months is that actually how that kind of um online connection can continue for, for something like the fellowship, you know that has that has a huge potential for people to actually start, uh, you know, connecting slightly differently. I, I think
4: there's but been there's been a lot of people that have been coming to meetings that said they wouldn't come to meetings in real life that have actually just kind of accessed it maybe because they found it easier to just you know be a bit sort of separate but still be able to do that so it'll be interesting to find out you know if that continues but i think a lot of people are talking about continuing having an online presence um even when we kind of go go back to kind of like face-to-face meetings
2: it, it, it was actually Heather that sent me a, a link um, last week to a program that was broadcast I think a couple of years ago on the BBC about um, it was actually about how the Brexit vote and um, the US kind of election was um, swayed by Facebook um, campaigns and it's pretty kind of yeah it's, it's on the BBC it's, it's a really interesting program but what was uh, also interesting about it was that it it, it, it kind of started right at the, ve- the very beginning of the internet, the new ele- electronic telephone being invented, and, and and the hope in that moment about connection and people coming together that sort of somehow seems to have just got lost. Because, you know, it's, it, you, I can remember when Facebook was like, oh, God, I haven't seen them for like 20 years. And now my personal Facebook, uh, you know, page of just all. Uh, my facebook is just endless in adverts for kind of middle-aged lady things that i don't want because they got my algorithm all wrong it's like incontinence pads and kind of you know plastic surgery and shit (laughs) fuck off um but you know it's like it's all just adverts i wade through and you know i'd sort of forgotten that early on it was just like some strange you know fancier myspace where you can connect to people
0: I think on um, what in terms of the potential for connection, last night Tonya and I had one of our um, book groups, the fe- uh, feminism book group, which we've managed to host more or less weekly during lockdown, which no way we would have done that before. And it's not that like, everybody comes every week or anything but it's just really nice to have that as an optional space and we just keep it really simple like with a like a little reading that people can do or if they don't have time it's fine um but it's nice to have that as like this optional form of connection
2: yeah i think well i mean it's just a really good example that we know of where where actually uh the pandemic has meant something about people coming together um supporting each other, which i you know I, I'm guessing the where you started off was like there are historical precedents for this, and that kind of I also just want to echo a bit of Tonya's experience of discovering history because I you know went to school and thought history was really boring because it fucking was um and it it, it you know it kind of blew my mind uh, uh, when I went to Kind of access course as a as a very old person, um, and discovered history was actually relevant to my life. It was a bit of a shock to me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I kind of yeah, made, I, that I, made a lot of sense.
1: Even this podcast is, you know, it's been amazing. It's uh, we, like we've we've been working on it now for for um, a little bit and. Yeah, it's just—it's been amazing. I've like, like all the time, even because it, it sort of fits in with what Kate Kate was talking about. I'm reading, um, you know, am I, ain't I a woman? And that, the the, the history from below in there is just—it's unbelievable. You know, I wish I wish that I sort of knew stuff, and that's why I suppose, in a way, you know, I've been listening to to you guys in the podcast as well, and I really want to come in and say things, but I suppose then, um, yeah, because it's. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just learning about history from below and I feel like I'm just finding my sort of my place. But it's like, yeah, it's so amazing. It makes me want to sort of go in and look at everything and know everything and, you know, go and watch stuff and educate myself even more so. And I know for a fact that the history from below, my bookshelves are going to be covered with history from Mm -hmm. below. And I think it would just be a whole new concept on me fitting in to that history as well. Where where was I in that history? Because history was boring. It was just about Roman and, I don't know, Romans and stuff like that. But, but actually, you know, in this pandemic and learning even political stuff, I didn't know about political stuff. And, you know, I knew not a lot, just who was in charge. And that was about it. But if I hadn't, you know, feeding my knowledge, knowing about stuff now in, in this pandemic... I would have been in a totally different place. I think what has helped me through this is the power of knowing and that sort of settles you a little bit, you know just knowing what maybe not what's going on because I don't think they know what's going on, but you know just knowing like certain stuff and being able to feel, feel comfortable with that. and I don't think for me, yeah, foundation for change't that it was my school of history.
3: I think there's something to say. I mean this kind of connects to the next. Uh, episode we're looking at on critical thinking but just something about how easy it is to go through life not knowing stuff and not questioning things and there was something I was listening to this guy the other day talking about just that exact thing of like stuff he said you know it goes without saying because it comes without saying and I really love that like we don't question things a lot of the time because it's just it's accepted it's the norm And in some ways i think with this pandemic i mean i think it's obviously doing lots of things like liz said it's very much about trying to maybe find the positives where we can but i think there's just something really profound about how much it's shaken people up in a really good way it's kind of woken people up to being disempowered and maybe even the kind of the nuance of being disempowered um and woken people up about you know their kind of resourcefulness or you know you know politics and kind of like what it means and kind of people becoming more politically active you know I think it's just something about feels like people's brains are really waking up and having this information have this knowledge is so so vital for that process because it's so easy to be misinformed
0: yeah i think there's also like yeah then on the misinformation thing it's like even the history that we are taught gives the wrong picture and that links to what you were saying Liz at the beginning about the statues, how like at school I definitely learned about the Industrial Revolution um, and like the story was whoa the British are so amazing because we invented the cotton engine um, and like the Industrial Revolution happened here. And that's one way of looking at it. But, like, it was massively linked to the expansion of slavery in the southern United States. And, like, yeah, like, it's...
2: it's and it's, it's not only even, even old folk like myself. It's like, you know, young people don't hear that history, particularly at school, like, uh, you know, I believe. What is this cotton engine of which you speak? Is that like a loom? Is that a steam engine? Ah, what? That makes cotton. That that weaves it. I should look at
0: the precise.
2: Sorry, I've
4: just precise
0: invention because there are a few. There are a few that came connected to steam. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, the the cotton engine was to do with the mm, wheel production of cotton. All right. <laughs>
4: so, yeah, there was a lot of it around because that was like a main industry, wasn't it? The, the looms and uh, spinning jenny, wasn't it? Where they actually invented the whole kind of like mechanized loom. To be able to make fabric easier than everyone doing it at home at home individually
0: right cotton gin the cotton gin um, <laughs> um so it was a machine for cleaning cotton of its seeds mm. okay so yeah and i and i guess i'm conscious that we'll probably have to wrap up soon but um But going back to, you know, what we're going to look at next with critical thinking and also looking at a bit more about this question of power and what that is, Um, uh, the thing that Tonya and I originally started researching a lot into was um, like lockdown and how like measures and laws were introduced to kind of put those in place and like the the history of quarantine and things and we decided in the end that we probably wouldn't have time to explore it but it feels like it is really relevant because because that history is so tied to the development of hospitals and mental institutions and kind of yeah like just attitudes to to mental health and how you take care of people by locking them up and all the kind of tensions that can arise um, through doing that and the power that governments have or public health authorities have so I know I'm looking forward definitely to like being able to explore that a bit more in the coming weeks. Brilliant, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Cool. Thanks everyone. One of things I had
2: never discovered before so thank you. Cool, pleasure and I'll speak to you all soon.
3: Yeah, thank you very much.
2: Bye. Bye.